as I prayed about, about what God would want us to share today, God gave me a great passage of Scripture, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. I think it's going to be appropriate for this last Sunday of 2020. I've heard a lot of people say, boy, I cannot wait for 2020 to be over. And I think the assumption behind that statement is that 2021 will be better, and I hope it is. But regardless, I think God's Word today is going to give us a warning and a challenge. And I think it will be good for us to hear from Him. So let's just jump right into it, okay? On your mark, get set, go. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Lots of times when I come home at the end of the day, and after Linda finishes her piano lessons, she will say, how was your day? And sometimes I say, well, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? And she usually says, well, let's do the bad news first, and then we can get that out of the way. So that's what I'm going to do today. We're going to start with the bad news. I know it's family Sunday today, so I see a few kids out there. So kids, I want you to help me with this. So, Bobby, are you going to deliver the candy canes? So, if what I want you to do is we're going to look at each one of these verses again, and I want you to see the bad news in each of these verses. And if you think you know what the bad news is in each of these verses, raise your hand and we'll call on you. And if you get it right, we'll give you a candy cane. Ready? Ready, guys? Here we go. Here's the first verse. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Where's the bad news there? Okay, I see a hand. What's, what's the bad news? Unwise. Good. Good job. Good answer. Yeah, un, being unwise. That's, that's not a good thing to be unwise. Okay, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Right there, what's the bad news? The days are evil. That's the bad news. That's bad. Days are evil. Okay, let's keep going. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Where's the bad news? Right there. What? Foolish. Don't be foolish. Yeah, that's bad to be foolish. And the last verse do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Where's the bad news there? I see your hand. Yes, which leads to what? Debauchery. Is that a bad thing? I, th I think so. We'll talk about that later. So, a lot of bad news. And I want to talk about this bad news from in a general sense and then in a personal sense. By the way, great job, kids. Let's give all of them a hand, okay? That was great. So in a general sense, Paul says in verse 16, the days are evil. And we see all throughout Scripture that evil is real. There is a real evil one. And so let's just look at several Scriptures, just rapid fire, 
to see what Scripture teaches about evil and the evil one. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Finally, Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I could go on and on, but you get the point, right? There are real spiritual forces of evil at work. Paul also challenges us personally in this passage to not choose evil. Don't make unwise choices, he says. Don't make foolish choices. Don't get drunk on wine. You see, each of us is created with the freedom to choose. We can choose good or we can choose evil. Paul says, don't choose evil. Now, we understand that that choice is not made in a vacuum. We already talked about there are spiritual forces of evil trying to take us down, not to mention the fact that we're born with a sinful nature which has a southbound pole in our lives, which I don't have time to talk about, but it is a factor. So Paul says, don't be unwise, don't be foolish, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. What does that word mean? It's not a word we use, so let's talk about that. Debauchery. The Greek word is asotia. And the root of that word is sozo in the Greek, from which comes our word salvation. It's a negative, asotia. So it means literally the opposite of salvation. Debauchery is the opposite of salvation. So a life of destruction, a life of sin, that dead-end road. Now, somebody may say, well, that verse doesn't apply to me because I don't get drunk. Well, it is true that Paul focuses on the vice of drunkenness, but I think we all can agree that there are lots of self-destructive choices that take us down that road, right? I lead our Celebrate Recovery group, and we talk about this this pattern of personal evil all the time. It's the same. It always starts with us kicking God out of his rightful place in our lives so that we are in control. We have this compulsion to control ourselves, others, and God. And so when we're in control, things don't go well. We alienate ourselves from others. We ignore God. And we feel the weight of trying to keep our lives together on us. And it doesn't go very well. And guess what? The bottom line is we feel bad. And we don't like to feel bad. So in order to escape those bad feelings, we drink 
or drug or eat or shop or gamble or people please or have illicit sex and the list could go on and on and on. And then what happens? Well, it may ease that pain, it may kind of numb that pain in the short term, but really it makes things worse, right? And we think, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I've got to stop. Guess what? You can't stop. You see, instead of Instead of recognizing the fact that we can't stop on our own, you know what we do? We say, okay, this time I'm going to stop. In recovery circles, there's a word for that. Do you know what that word is? Anybody? Denial. So we live in this denial, this self-destructive pattern that takes us down this road to debauchery, this dead-end road, and Satan wins. And the government, you know, spends billions of dollars trying to solve these societal problems, and every year you look at the statistics, and things just get worse. So I bet you're glad you came to church today. (laughs) Bad news. Anybody ready to hear some good news? Show of hands. Okay, let's turn the corner. Good news. Let's go back through and look at the same passage of Scripture. Look at the good news here. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. That word for careful is akrobos in the Greek, and it means precision, accuracy, diligence. So Paul is saying, Live your life with intentionality. And then verse 16 picks up on that same theme, make, making the most of every opportunity. That word opportunity, that's used uh, in the uh, financial markets and it means to buy in the market. So, what Paul is saying is invest, get in. Again, be intentional about how you live your life so that when your life is over, it will have counted for something. Next verse, 17. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Where's the good news? Well, I think the fact that it says understand what the Lord's will is implies that we can, in fact, understand what the Lord's will is. You know, sometimes I have people come to me and say, I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life. And I always say, I know what God's will is for your life. You do? Yeah. It's very clearly stated in Scripture, Romans 8, 29. God's will for your life is that you would become more like Jesus. And usually they say, well, okay, well, that's, that's good, that's nice, but I'm really kind of referring to more you know, like decisions about what college I should go to or what career path I should choose or just everyday practical decisions like what does God want me to do with this day? So what about those? Can we understand what God's will is for us in those areas? 
I say yes, absolutely. Remember, Jesus at the end of his earthly ministry said, I'm gonna leave, but I won't leave you as orphans. I will send my spirit, the Holy Spirit. He will live in you and he will speak to you my will. That's what he does. That's his job to speak to us, to remind us of how we need to live our lives, to fill us. Jesus promises that, which is exactly what the next verse says. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What a powerful phrase. Be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to really unpack this, so hang with me for a little while. This this word filled is in the present imperative, which means literally to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the focus is on the ongoing process of being filled with the Holy Spirit as opposed to a momentary decision. In the Church of the Nazarene, we have a doctrine called entire sanctification. It's one of the reasons that the Church of the Nazarene came into existence over 110 years ago. We use the same phrase a lot where we talk about being filled with the Spirit, being sanctified. Usually when we talk about that, we're talking about a momentary decision where we surrender our lives to God, where we consecrate our lives, and He comes in and cleanses us from sin and fills us with His Spirit. That's very important. And that's an experience that I pray we all either have had or will have, but that is not what this is really talking about. This is talking about the ongoing process, not just the moment, but the ongoing process of staying filled with the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, I think when you look at the contrast in this verse, you get a hint. Again, Obviously, Paul is contrasting getting drunk on wine with being filled with the Spirit, right? Don't do this, do this. So getting drunk on wine, when we have a certain level of alcohol in our bloodstream and we're intoxicated, what do we say? What's the phrase that we use about that? That we are under the influence, right? Because when we are intoxicated, we change. We don't do things that we normally would do. That's why Paul says, don't do that. But he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Spirit. This may really sound weird. It's, I think he's saying, get drunk on Jesus. Be intoxicated with Jesus, so much so that he changes how we react and we respond. Jesus is our example in this. We see all throughout Scripture, Jesus was in constant communication with his heavenly Father. Jesus was constantly dependent on his Father. He was devoted to his Father's purposes. You see all throughout the Gospels this phrase, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did this, said that, went there. Same in Acts, Stephen at his stoning. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked to the heavens. So when it says Jesus and Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, 
It's saying they were under the influence of the Spirit. They had given the Spirit full right of way, full control of their lives. Now, there may be somebody here who says, that sounds good, but that's way over my head. Like, that is not attainable for me. That may work for you, but I could never do that. I could never be continually filled with the Spirit. Well, let me just push back on that a little bit. Because we're not talking about the level of education you have. We're not talking about how many years you've been a Christian. We're not talking about the godly home you grew up in. And we're certainly not talking about some moralistic grit my teeth and be better kind of thing. We already talked about the fact that we can't do that apart from God. We can't change apart from Him. To me, the big question when we think about whether this is attainable or not is this. Am I capable of giving up the control of my life to Jesus? That's the question. Am I capable of giving up the control of my life to Jesus? I think, certainly for most of us, the answer is yes. Yes, I have that capability to give up the control of my life to Jesus. Is it easy? No. Will it work if you don't have somebody that comes alongside of you and loves you and invests in you and points you to Jesus? Probably not. That's why Jesus invites us to be in those discipling relationships. Will you be able to perform perfectly? No. Will you mess up? Yes. But is it possible? Yes. By the grace of God, it is possible. And that is the good news that we need to hear as we head into 2021. Friends, you don't have to live in despair. You don't have to live in sin's clutches. Sin can be defeated. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who we celebrate at Christmas, through this Advent season, came to give us hope, peace, joy, love. Jesus came by his shed blood on the cross, which we're going to celebrate in communion in a little bit. He came to forgive us, and his intervention in our lives destroys the power of sin over us. Did you hear that? His intervention in our lives destroys the power of sin over us as we cooperate and are filled with the Spirit. You know, it is true. There is evil. There are spiritual forces of evil in the world. But you know what I love? I love what 1 John 4, 4 says. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You talk about good news. There's some good news. So do you want to hear a story about somebody who's filled with the Spirit? And the difference that God makes in his life. 
Some of you have met my friend Hal Perkins, the guy who discipled me. I met Hal for the first time when I was in high school. He spoke at Northwest Ohio District Youth Camp. And then after I finished school at Mount Vernon and started my first ministry assignment at Denver First as a senior high pastor, I reached out to him and asked him if he would disciple me. And we've been very close now for 40 years. He uh, pastored for 40 years, and for the last 10 years, he's been speaking all over the country and training disciple-makers and coaches of disciple-makers. Hal is 75 years old. Well, in November, Hal got COVID. And on November the 16th, he was admitted to the hospital there in Kansas City. And then things got worse. He got pneumonia. And then things got even worse. He got blood clots in his lungs. And his three doctors tried desperately to save his life, assuming that they were fighting a losing battle because they had never seen or heard of somebody in his condition surviving. So after 24 days in the hospital and his condition continuing to deteriorate, they finally decided to just be honest and say, you know, Hal, we're sorry, we've done everything we can do. But, um, you know, we're, we're kind of out of options. So we're going to move you off of the COVID floor and we're going to move you to a regular room so that your wife, Debbie, Debbie had not seen him through this whole 24 days in the COVID unit. So we think the kindest thing to do is to move you off so that Debbie can say her final goodbyes. That night, Al said he had an incredible experience where he just looked into the eyes of Jesus and he just saw Jesus, his arms open wide. And he said, I had such a deep peace in my life in that moment, knowing that I would be welcomed into his arms. And he said, another thing I felt was just a humble sense of affirmation. I've failed a lot of times, but he said, I think I just sensed in that moment that Jesus knew my heart and he knew that I had given my very best to follow Jesus. And he said, I can't tell you how meaningful that experience was to me. So then the next day, Thursday, December 10th, they moved him and allowed Debbie to go and see him. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, something happened. Like a miracle happened. And Hal's lungs began to function. And in 15 minutes of time, they adjusted the level of oxygen that was needed to keep him alive from 60 liters to five liters. In 15 minutes. Yeah. They, they, the doctors came in and they were stunned. They were like, we have no explanation for this. And Hal and Debbie said, we do. We do. Jesus is healing me. 
And I asked him what that was like. And he said, well, you know, first of all, I was so shocked because I was like so ready to die. And now, he said, I think I just started sobbing with joy. And two days later, they sent him home and I talked with him yesterday and in a resting state, he is oxygen free. And yesterday, he, with some help of some oxygen, he walked a half a mile. So he just keeps getting better and better and better. And I said, Hal, I'm going to preach about you tomorrow. I said, how do you feel about 2021? And he said, well, in typical Hal fashion, he said, well, first of all, I'm going to work as hard as I can to get free from this oxygen dependency. And to use our text, he said, I am going to make the most of every opportunity to build God's kingdom. I don't know, you know, what hearing that story does for you. I've been thinking about it a lot. And I have three, you know, three takeaways. First, I think it's awesome to think about that when we come to the end of our lives, we can have such a deep sense of peace. We don't have to be afraid of dying. By God's grace, we can have peace. And more than that, we can have that sense of affirmation that we have given it our very best. And I I want... When I get there, that's what I want to be able to say. I gave it my very best to serve you, Jesus. And you know, the second lesson is obvious. God is a healing God. I mean, there's no other way to describe what happened except that God has healed him and is healing him. And, you know, I just say, thank you, Jesus. And the third thing is a perspective thing for me. You know, none of us, life is fragile. None of us are given anything. None of us knows for sure whether we'll be here a year from now on this Sunday. So that motivates me, like I said, to just make the most of every opportunity to be filled with the Spirit, to allow Him the freedom to do what He wants to do in and through my life. We're going to close this service today, like I said, by taking communion. We're going to do it a little differently. We're going to give you just some time to pray. And the first thing I want to do is I want to just ask you to ask Jesus this question, just simply, Jesus, what are you saying to me? Jesus is here. What he does is he speaks. And I am convinced that he wants to speak to you. Now you've got to listen. That's on you. So I want to challenge you to listen to what he's saying and respond. And then receive the elements in gratitude for the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that made all this possible. I know there are families here together, and so I would encourage you, if you're here with your family, just to kind of circle up and do this exercise as a family. Couples, the same. If you're here by yourself, you can just 
do this in where you are. If you want to come to the altar, you certainly can do that. So we're just going to give you some time. Pastor Deb's going to play. Then after that, we're going to close with a great song of testimony. Mm-hmm.